welcome back to Real Perspective. This is episode three. Um, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. I'm Michael Morey. And the premise of this show, if you're new to it, is that it's a podcast based off of a YouTube show, based off of a podcast. And uh, the premise of the show is that we take kind of a macro look at uh, goings-on in, I don't know, Hollywood. Uh, not in like a new zine, TMZ type of way, but... Who's dating who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, not, not you know, not like that, but more of kind of a, 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 a broader topic um, about a movie that's coming out or currently released or... Um, as we did last, uh, two weeks ago, uh, uh, season, um, you know, we did Halloween and horror films. So we talked about horror films and why they appeal to people or don't appeal to people. And then some of our favorite films this week, we're going to be talking about, um, Disney specifically in the last maybe two, three weeks. Um, and, and their latest release Thor Ragnarok, which is like the 17th Marvel movie or something stupid. And, uh, yeah, so let's preface this by saying we've actually talked about Disney before. Right. Um, back on the YouTube show. Mm-hmm. And the question we posed was, is Disney ruining movies? And our answer was, honestly, shruggy guy. <laughs> um, and what what we landed on on that episode is basically that movies don't have to be all one thing. So, like, if you if you don't like watching these big budget Disney things, there are plenty of indie movies you can go see and everything in between you know um or you could go and love the full breadth of it the way i I like to think i kind of do um at least little bits here and there um and i still mostly agree with that (laughs) however the the shruggy guy is becoming a frowny guy slowly (laughs) yeah um (laughs) disney has pulled some shenanigans in the last couple weeks and It's easy to kind of look at it as, like, rage against the big corporation thing. But honestly, what they've been doing is kind of BS. Yeah. Um, So the the first thing that happened is actually Star Wars related. Um, They're demanding a higher percentage of the ticket sales in the first couple weeks than uh, basically any other studio has ever done before. Um, The way it kind of works is a movie will open... And ticket sales, the majority of them for the first few weeks the film is out, go to the um, the studio. Uh, that's why concessions are so expensive, because the movie theaters pay basically nothing for their concessions, because they're really cheap. I mean, popcorn and soda are really cheap. Um, but then they jack up the price so that they can keep the lights on, basically, because average, on average, what is it, 55% of mm. the ticket sales go to back to the studio directly and then after it's been out for a while they start doing a little more profit sharing but not a lot more um it basically ends up by the time a movie finishes its run in a theater it's about 50 50 um so they're only see so when you pay your eight dollars to go see a movie only four dollars of that are going back into the theater uh if not you know two or 250 or whatever so Disney is now claiming that they want, what is it, 60 or 65? Something like that. 60 or 65% of the profits from Star Wars in its first four weeks, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, now, that is doesn't seem like a lot, but it kind of is. It's, 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 a, it's a rocky ground to be on. Yes. I feel like. Um, 
obviously the movie's going to make money. We know it's going to make money. <laughs> yeah. Disney knows it's going to make money. Mm-hmm. I'm going to see it. You're going to see it. Everyone's going to see it. Um, but it feels like a misuse of knowing that. Yes. It's them throwing their weight around. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that continued into the fact that also on top of this, this uh, 60% profit share that they're asking for, they're saying that theaters showing Star Wars The Last Jedi have to show it for four weeks in its largest auditorium. Mm-hmm. That's insane to me. I've never heard of a theater dictating how long and in which auditorium uh, a movie needs to be playing in. Yeah. Um and what they've threatened these theaters, threatened is the word, with is if they catch wind that they are not doing this, they will pull the movie from their theater. <laughs> yeah. Mike, what do you think about this? Uh, I think it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I also think that... It's removing a lot of power away from theater owners mm-hmm. from making discretionary choices about what to do with their own theaters. Yeah. Um, then you go and couple that with the L.A. Times debacle. Yeah. And a disturbing picture starts emerging. Yes. Yeah. So the, to camp out on this theater thing for a little bit longer, I don't like it because as like a person who sees a ton of these movies uh it's oscar season at the same time like yeah we get the big winter blockbuster that's like an avatar and more recently a star wars and i'll probably see star wars more than once i've seen all the disney star wars movies i've seen in a theater at least twice Mm -hmm. twice each actually um so yeah i'll probably go see it a couple times but like I don't know. There's I I live in a small market. Like we don't get a lot of these Oscar Beatty movies that I kind of like. Like mm-hmm. when it gets around this type of this time of year, I get hype about the Oscar movies. And you know, we'll talk about this probably when it gets to Oscar season. The release structure for those types of movies is horrendous. Yes, as it is, it's horrendous. Now Disney's coming in and saying you have to dedicate this auditorium mm-hmm. to this movie for a full month in the middle of all this other stuff coming out on their wacky release schedule. Sucks all the air out of the room. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's 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 this weird workaround. It's almost like they hacked the system to get a monopoly on it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't understand why. Like it's they have no reason to be insecure about it. Yeah. I mean, I think the only the closest movie that the the closest Oscar-y movie that came came to touching Star Wars was maybe La La Land mm-hmm. last year, and that came out two weeks after Rogue One had been out in wide release, uh, and also it didn't make that much money, man. No. Like none <laughs> of these Oscar things are threatening Star Wars. The only thing Disney has to worry about is itself, like whether or not this is going to cut into the Thor profits or the Coco profits. <laughs> like that's it. Yeah, I can't name another big release in December. Can Nine, you? Nope. It's all the Oscar movies and Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yep. Yeah, because everybody learned their lesson from last year where they tried to go and put Assassin's Creed out or whatever, yeah. and it got just trounced. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, that um, not a good look. No, from that. No, and it's not like they should feel threatened by Justice League. It's going to have a big opening weekend, and then everyone's going to be like, "This sucks," and not see it again. You mm-hmm. know, like that's going to be the closest big blockbuster movie in competition to Star Wars. So yeah. there's literally no reason for Disney to do this other than we can f yes, you. Like basically. that's how it feels, and I hate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of that attitude. The LA Times ran an article recently um, about Disneyland's uh, tenuous at best relationship with the city of Anaheim Mm -hmm. and uh, whether or not they're really paying what they should be to be there uh, based on kind of the amount of ordinances they violate on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, You know, it's, it's, it's kind of an open secret that uh, Disney's fireworks show that happens every night is in direct violation of a city ordinance of noise levels, and they have to pay a fine every time they do it. They have Disney money, uh, so they can pay it, and it's fine. But the Times ran this article kind of listing the other ways in which um, Disneyland isn't necessarily bad for Anaheim, but in the ways they're not necessarily pulling the weight they should be given their presence in the city. Right. So, Disney's response was to ban the Los Angeles Times and their film critics from going to press screenings of their films. They didn't get invited to any press screenings of Thor Ragnarok because of this. And if you think we're speculating about why we did this, if we think it's be, if you think it's because of a weird timing, Disney cited that specifically as the reason in their statement to the LA Times. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what <laughs> i don't I, I, uh, once again i don't follow the logic I, behind I mean, it i just well okay i'm gonna go and couple it with another story that came out in the last week and i'll try to explain what i think okay. is really going on here which is there was also news this week about how 20th century fox oh yeah and disney were in talks um, so that Disney would go and acquire 20th Century's Fox Studios, movie studios mm-hmm. in particular. So 20th Century Fox could basically just focus on television and sports, right. more or less. Um, this, to me, goes and d- demonstrates a disturbing picture where Disney already owns a ton of the movie market. Mm-hmm. I think it was like last year. I mean, they pretty much had like 60% yeah. of like gross profits yeah. or something like yeah. that. Um they have so many brands and franchises that you can just go and point to any calendar month and that's like, oh, that's the month that Disney's going to own. That's the month that Disney... I mean, yeah. maybe like the like a couple months ago when It was out was the only month that Disney probably doesn't own. Yeah, um, yeah. This year. And so slowly Disney is squeezing the life out of 20th Century Fox who can't compete. Maybe they have X-Men, but that's a dying franchise yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, They're doing really well on TV though. They are with doing, X-Men stuff. Right, they are doing well on that. Um, but Fox's movie franchises and uh, output is not anywhere close to being no, like Universal a is the only studio that's comparable to Disney right now, right. putting out these sort of AAA things with, yeah. um, like, well, it their horror movies are kind of firing on all cylinders because yeah. they have the partnership with Blumhouse, um, and which you know Universal's been the horror studio since the '30s, mm-hmm. so that makes sense. And then the Fast and Furious franchise, um, and something else there was well they, they have a, a don't they have illumination studios like all oh the, yeah. The, yeah, yeah 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 the minions all, and yeah all that stuff usually stuff makes money right. um 
WB's, they're not in trouble, but they're about to be once Justice League doesn't make any money. Right. Um, (laughs) Um, They're in in a precarious position. So we're in a state now where Disney is basically poised to go and dictate the terms for the blockbuster movie-making industry. Right. And they're exerting that influence against journalists now. They're exerting it against uh, movie theaters. And they're exerting it against, like, cities. Yeah. Like, they are in a very culturally and financially dominant position. And I think, you know, in comparison to our analysis a couple of weeks ago... Um, or a month ago when we were talking about things on the podcast, this is not a good look. And mm-hmm. it also is, I don't think it's good for film. No. To, for someone to have a monopoly the way that they do. And they've cracked whatever kind of storytelling formula or box office success secret uh, is out there. And I think, as we're going to talk about probably with Thor a little bit, they're making a lot of samey movies that are mm-hmm. very good and resonate with Pete, the mass market. Yeah. But um, I think do not bode well for originality or creativity or anything like that in the industry. That's right. my big spiel. Yeah, I get that. Um, I think I'm I'm I err on the side of being kind of on the wrong side of that, of being f- more fine with that, because here's the thing. Well, I mean, I've, I've used this example a lot. I go to the movies a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I essentially, if you boil it down, about a movie a week. So I see a little over 52 movies in a theater every year. Seeing six, seven, eight Disney movies, that's not a lot. Like, yeah. that's less than, that's a little over 10% of the movies I see in mm-hmm. a given year. So I'm not everyone, though. Most people, this is all they're seeing. Yeah. You know, this is the only thing that people are going out to the movie theater to see. Maybe they'll go see the big Oscar contender, you mm-hmm. know, like... Um, the post will probably be a big one because it's a Spielberg movie that is about the Pentagon Papers and is going to get a lot of Oscar love. And so people are probably going to see that once Good Word of Mouth hits because I'm sure it'll have Good Word of Mouth because it's a Spielberg movie. But other than like that one outlier and the three, what? Yeah, three Marvel movies, the Star Wars movie. And did Pixar do two this year? Yeah, they did. The well, two pi- and whatever princess movie reboot live action oh, cartoon yeah, reimagining thing, thing that they do. Yeah. That's that's probably like the six or seven movies that an average person sees every year. Oh, yeah. For sure. You know, like the water cooler conversations are going to be dominated by Disney. Yeah. And Disney knows it. And they're yep. throwing their weight around. And it the, some of the backlash to these things has panned out okay because, for example, in the L.A. Times situation, the New York Times and some other news outlets were going to go and then boycott Disney. Yeah. And then Disney's back down today. Yeah, they did. Which is good. But we could be in a position where, well, if you want to go and get clicks and ad revenue from movie reviews and Disney decides to go and withhold something from you, it can actually hurt your business. And if they're the only game in town that's producing things that go and produce clicks and ad revenue, then they get more dominant. It's true, but I think it's still like it, it. This is why I don't follow the logic because it put way more power in the in the hands of the journalists than it did Disney. Because, this time around, yeah, that's my point. Is that I think if they go in and assert any more control over this, they're going to be the only game in town that's worth a dang thing for most people. Yeah, so that's true. I don't well, but then the other thing is these. Movies are such events Mm -hmm. that people often don't read criticism of it because they want to avoid spoilers. True. Um, You know, I've seen that happen where, uh, you know, I reviewed the Shaq 
for web for Keith Love's movies the same weekend Logan opened that my review was more popular than the Logan review that weekend on the site because the shack is one already a book and two like way lower stakes than this big event thing mm-hmm. um I think also kind of people are more curious about what the crappy Christian movies like yeah. <laughs> um you know when, when you hear about like Logan or one of these superhero movies although Logan wasn't samey but when you hear about you know these big superhero movies you basically know what you're gonna get right yeah and so there's like almost not a point to reading the criticism in them true but okay let's go and take something like indie wire or something like that mm-hmm. you think that a review of thor versus the shack is going to do less than the shack in terms of views and clicks i feel like the, the thor thing is going to go and get 10 yeah. times the amount yeah you know what i mean so I'm, I'm not sure that like when it comes to these big pop culture websites you're going to go and have these niche things go and win out over a big blockbuster. Yeah, that could be true. I'm basing that also on my own clicks. Like, I mean, I read that review of the Hannity movie yesterday, (laughs) and that's the first full review I've read in forever because I'm, you know, at least industry adjacent to that. Mm -hmm. So when I see the Thor reviews coming out and stuff like that, I basically know what they're going to say already. Yeah. When I see reviews of something like Let There Be Let, I'm like, oh yeah, let's find out. You know, (laughs) morbidly curious. Yeah. Um, and you know, it is an insular industry in that the only people who truly read a lot of criticism are either really diehard mm-hmm. or a, at least doing something relatively similar. True. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, it's a bad look. Like yeah. we said, it doesn't look good, but I don't understand the end game either because, they're only going to be able to do this for as long as people give a damn. Yeah. And I don't think it's running out, especially since the only other cinematic universes so far you have to compare it to are the dark universe and <laughs> the DCEU. Like, which are doing just great. Yeah. Which are doing aces. <laughs> um, they've delayed Bride of Frankenstein and they haven't cast Nightwing yet or yeah. begun the process of doing so. Um, so, you know, the, the bigger Disney gets, the fewer risks it's going to be able to take. Whereas Universal, yeah, this Dark Universe thing didn't work out, but it is the highest grossing horror movie of all time. Mm -hmm. The Fast and Furious 8 is one of the highest grossing action movies that's not a Marvel or Star Wars thing in the last decade. You know, they have a more diverse portfolio that's going to save them in the end because their Dark Universe thing didn't work out, but it doesn't matter because they had it in Fast and Furious in their back pocket anyway. Well, and here's the thing is that there's a problem in the movie industry where they go and chase after things and they just copycat things thinking mm-hmm. it's going to be the same as the first big thing. And we saw this with like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. Everyone's trying to chase after the next Lord of the Rings or the next Harry Potter. Right. And then it turned out that like the next big thing wasn't like the clones of either of those things. It, it was, was just, superheroes. It was superheroes. Yeah. You know, something completely new. Or like it ended up being Twilight and this young adult fiction crap. Or yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. It ended up being something completely different. And so, yeah, the more Marvel or Disney or whatever gets invested in, like, oh, cinematic universe is the key to, like, you know, unlocking box audience potential. Right. Uh, it's actually maybe not going to actually be something that's permanent. Someone else is going to go and figure out something new oh, yeah. and different. And then they're going to be caught out in the cold because they've invested wholly into this idea. Yeah. No, that's it's super dangerous for Disney because this is only going to last 
until one something new comes along yeah. or two the quality gives out mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you know people have varying opinions on whether or not that's happening but you know Spielberg was right when he said that these movies are going to go the way of the Western. Yeah. It's also why I'm kind of fine with it. Like I've, I've studied a decent amount of cinematic history and I know there are trends and I know this is just a trend. So, you know, I don't think we're going to be getting Marvel movies till I die. Um, it's just not going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, it's going to peter out eventually in our lifetime. I'm positive of that. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't see a a a, a, a path in sight for them when that do, when that does stop happening. My only concern is is if they go and end up controlling like eighty percent of the movie industry. Yeah, I, it's gonna be really hard for somebody to go and muster up the capital to go and make a movie that's new and different. Uh, to go and challenge them. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Like there's a point where if they go and snuff out the competition just enough. You, maybe you won't get that opposing idea that goes and takes hold. Mm-hmm. And you know, maybe it be something very low budget, possibly, and has to go and start from something really humble in terms of its origins. But they could go and suck up enough life out of the room, or air out of the room, that there's no room for anything else to kind of grow. Yeah, I mean, I know we didn't see this with a specific studio in the 80s and 90s. But I feel like the 80s was a time of really big budgety, you know, movies. And that kind of sustained itself until like 1993, 1994. And then you have Clerks come out mm-hmm. and Clerks kind of sub- kicks off this indie movie revolution. And, you know, that's a that's a di- that's a different podcast. But, you know, Clerks comes out and people glom on to that because it's the new thing. And it he made it, I think, for seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars on like credit cards he took out at mm-hmm. theme parks or something like, you know, there's I think for every time there is this big thing there's going to be something scrappy that comes along and you know is the new thing eventually yeah it may take a while true but i don't see it not happening i think some of this is also contingent on how the worldwide box office holds up if they keep on wanting to watch all this yeah big budget spectacle or if they eventually get sick of it the way i kind of feel like people in the west or america kind of are beginning to Mm -hmm. but i don't know that's all speculative yeah it's true i mean i so i started reading this book uh pictures at a revolution about um the kind of the birth of new hollywood and how what happened is people were really tired of these sort of musical adaptations of plays and war movies and westerns and those are the only three things that they got Mm -hmm. here in america And what was happening is the French New Wave was coming over and all these foreign movies were happening and people were like, what is this? This is new. It's really realistic. You know, basically nothing happens. They're very slice of life. It's kind of just like life happening to people and then the movie's over and there's no real resolution of it. So this this upstart group of uh, writers and directors kind of wanted to make more French New Wave feeling movies. So they did... But what happened is the French were tired of the French New Wave and they were wanting Mm -hmm. the big budget musicals and war movies and westerns that were coming out of Hollywood because it was so big and bombastic and not, you know, 
kind of grim and you know ponderous as some of the french new wave stuff was because that's all they were getting in their home country so it is still a matter of perspective yeah well to... and that's the that's the how a wave works which yeah is that, you know it, it moves from one thing to another and yeah by the time it hits one country or continent it's already past the other one so yeah i mean that's what i kind of think that we're going through with some of these franchises that people are getting sick of and tra- like transformers or whatever yeah like america's sick of it but the world kind of isn't sick of it, so the wave is crossing over them, right. but then maybe... Well, Transformers is dying. The worldwide box office on that was terrible, too. True, but but it still did... Well, for example, <clears throat> the previous one before this mm-hmm. one, it did a lot better in China than it did in America. Yeah. And now it's kind of like... Now the wave is completely passed, and it's yeah. even past China, in a way. Yeah. Um, so it's true. I, there are trends that happen. Things rise and fall. So we'll keep an eye on this, and I'm sure whether or not Disney is ruining movies will be a continued subject throughout yeah. uh, this podcast, starting with Thor. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. Once again, my answer is still no, because you can just watch something else. Like, there yeah. are still other movies you can watch. Go watch something from before you were born. It's good for you. Um, but, yeah, so Thor Thor Ragnarok is the third um, installment in this Thor franchise um kind of a low tier uh, yeah. marvel franchise when when you get down to it both um like in terms of of people critical cri- and, yeah and well and also audience i guess yeah people feedback. are kind of middle on the road middle of the road on them some people really hate the second one which mm-hmm. i actually am kind of an apologist for i kind of like the second it's one it's kind of good there's some problems yeah. with it there's like a lot of problems with it it's a li- it's pretty messy i mean i'm going to ruin it for people but i kind of like the second one more than this one I don't know if I... I think I may like this one a little bit more, but I think you would have to catch me on a day. Yeah, you know, okay. like, that's right. that's kind of how I feel about it. Okay. There's some good stuff in the second one. There's mm-hmm. some good character stuff in the second I one. I agree. Um, there's some good character stuff in the first one, I think. I agree um, with that, too. <laughs> I, I actually think it's he's... That Thor is almost the underrated franchise in this Marvel machine. Yes. Um. So, you know, we've seen him. This is his, what, fifth? appearance in a marvel thing now two and then two Mm -hmm. yeah um so he's been in two movies of his own two avengers movies and when we last left our hero he was going back to uh uh not necessarily asgard but back to sort of the nine realms that aren't uh midgard or earth Mm -hmm. uh as we know it um to kind of track down what's happening because he had a vision of what was going to be happening to his home of Asgard. Um, Thor is obviously based off Norse mythology and he's the God of Thunder. And um, when we meet him in this movie, it's kind of in media res of him solving, solving the mystery of that we last left him at. Mm -hmm. Um, So he was like, I got to find out what's going to happen to Asgard. And then he is now confronting uh, the Sautur, Satur. Yeah. Something like that. Yes. Some demon that's going to bring about Ragnarok, which is the Asgardian apocalypse, essentially. Um, So he decides he has to stop Ragnarok, uh, ends up um, fighting Satur taking his helmet, bringing it back to Asgard. He's been gone a while and finds out that Loki has assumed the throne of Odin as, uh, in disguise as Odin. And he has actually kidnapped Odin and sent him to Earth. Uh, and so he's mad about that. And they go and find Odin and they find out about the goddess of death, who's kind of trying to come back and take over Asgard. 
and in a fight with her, they end up on a planet called Sakaar, where Hulk is. Man, there's a lot of plot to this movie. Yeah. I didn't think about that. There is quite wow. a lot of plot. Holy moly. Um, they end up... And, and like none of this is spoilers. <laughs> um, and they end up on Sakaar, where uh, this kind of evil, genius, weird uh, guy... Named, named Jeff Goldblum. Named Jeff Goldblum uh, is making Hulk fight for him in these sort of gladiator matches. So then they have to get off of Sakaar and go and... Uh, save Asgard, basically. That's like the story of the movie with no spoilers. That's insane. <laughs> I haven't had to recount it to anyone yet. Yeah. So, uh, holy cow. Yeah. Oh my god. There's a lot of setup to that. Wow. There's too much setup to that. Man. That took forever. Yeah. Good lord. Yeah. It, that's actually one of my biggest problems with it. It's, it feels like the first 20 or 30 minutes of it just... Or like a slog to get to like the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it, man. Um, but go ahead, continue. Anyway, so that's like the bare bones. I know it's the hard pill to swallow. The bare bones story of Thor Ragnarok. Um, this time it was, I'm gonna say written and directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, he is not a credited writer on it, um, but he encouraged the uh, improv comedy thing on set. So he definitely gets a writer credit as far as I'm concerned, since his stamp is all over this thing. Taika yep. um, Waititi is an indie director from New Zealand, and this is his very first big budget thing. Uh, everything else he's done are these kind of comedies with heart, quote unquote. Um, did one of my favorite comedy movies ever made, uh, like, number two for me behind the jerk or airplane or something uh what we do in the shadows which is hilarious and incredible and go watch it even if you hated thor ragnarok it is a billion times the movie that thor ragnarok is and i a little bit liked thor ragnarok <laughs> um and uh so so th this is the the kind of guy that that marvel courted to kind of make thor rad yeah liven <laughs> him up yeah so thor has this reputation for being like kind of gloomy i guess or uptight stale yeah too shakespearean which is what i like about it right <laughs> um so taika watiti went and made a thor movie for people who hate thor correct uh but for people who don't hate thor it's a huge mess correct <laughs> man so like i said what we do in the shadows is one of my favorite comedies of all time i am secure in saying that uh like i said if you did not like this movie go see that one anyway because it's fantastic i was so so disappointed in this movie yeah okay let's break down why okay this movie feels like a tonal betrayal of the first two movies. Yes. It feels like it's a part of a different series. Yeah. It feels like it's Guardians of the Galaxy 3 with Diet Thor. Guardians. Yeah. And, you know, it, once again, if you did not like the previous Thor movies, I could see you liking this as a result. Right. However, we already have those other movies. Yeah, they're like space plus jokes equals Guardians. Like, right. that's, that's what Guardians thing is. He mm -hmm. just like ripped that off wholesale and made a Thor movie with it. Right. <laughs> and whatever problems you might have with the previous two Thor movies, it has some pretty good dramatic scenes in both of them. Yeah. And this movie 
constantly undermines and undercuts the dramatic scene. What could be great dramatic scenes. Exactly. There are some really good performances in the movie, actually. Throughout. Yeah. Um, and like good arcs. Like there are there are like if you strip the all the jokes away and mm-hmm. put the dramatic arcs next to each other, they're kind of great. Yeah, no, Thor has a good arc. Loki uh, has, Loki has a incredible arc. arc. Yeah. Uh, Valkyrie has a good arc. Yeah, Hela has a good, decent for yeah, a Marvel for a Marvel villain. villain she's pretty. Good. She's <laughs> top tier. Yeah, you know, um, this is second to top tier. Yeah, Scur- Scourge or whatever his name is, the, the bad guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carl type. Urban. Yes, uh, he has even like a decent arc. Like every yeah. character actually has like an arc. Yeah. So the story beats are there, but they're constantly being undercut by one-liners. Yeah, and it it bothers me because I liken it to. You know, you ever have like an immature friend who can't like a let like a serious moment just like sit there and like has to like make a fart noise or something like that. Like, yeah, you know me. What I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like like that douchebag. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and like that's what this movie constantly is. It's like that annoying ass friend, douchebag yeah. like you, who yeah. just can't like be serious for one second. Yeah. And you're just like, stop, man. Yeah. Just stop. Like, the equivalent of, like, 9-11 happens in this film. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, spoilers. Asgard gets completely blown up, okay, in this movie. And they go and make a... They go and have, like, one character who's kind of a comic relief already go and say, well, like, you know, the foundations are still there. We can just kind of rebuild from here. And then, like, the whole thing just explodes again. And then he's like, well, I guess the foundations are gone. Right. Which is like, okay, it's kind of... It's sort of funny. Yeah, so here's the thing. None of the jokes are... Bad. bad there are no real bad jokes in the movie no but the timing of them is way off like like i mean come on like their whole home world just got destroyed and yeah. then you go and like undercut that with a joke yeah like how can i buy into the drama of what's happening here mm-hmm. when you go and do that like it's yes. almost insulting to me yeah and like they don't trust the audience to be uncomfortable with it's, like a dramatic scene it's for a like, second it's it's so crazy It's like watching this Olympic-level diver who knows, like, his craft really well uh, jump off of a high dive, do a bunch of really great fancy stuff, and then get eaten by a shark at the bottom of the pool that he put there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then he's like, (laughs) ta-da! Yeah! And it's like, well, come on, man. Like, why did you ruin it? Or, (laughs) I mean, it's just like a guy who goes and, like, decides to go and do, like... Like, you think he's going to be great, and then he goes and does, like, a belly flop. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. why did you go and do that? <laughs> yeah. Like, we knew you were capable of so much better, because they go and have really good beats. Yeah. And then, like, they're so uncomfortable with you, like, trusting you to just have, like, a moment of, like, so- solemnity that mm-hmm. you ke- that they go and have to undercut it. And... It's not impossible for these Marvel movies to have those. We've no. had a really good example of that this year that's called Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah. Which I think is a much better movie than the it's first one. Mu- oh, yeah. Hell and, yeah. And a much better movie than this because it lets the drama land. Like, there are a ton of jokes in that movie. Not mm-hmm. nearly as many as the first one. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of, like, drama in the movie. Like, Guardians 2 is essentially a play. Like, you could yeah. do it in on stage in front of people and <laughs> yeah. basically achieve the same effect. It just so happens to ha- take place in space. Right. Um, but, like, this movie hasn't figured out how to hit that balance at all. And I think, I think the problem is it was, like, at least one, if not three edits away from being as affecting as Guardians 2 is. 
is. Yes. Um, the editing in this movie is outright garbage. Like, I agree. With top that. to bottom, the worst edited Marvel movie I think ever. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. Iron Man two, maybe. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, excluding. <laughs> yeah. But man, like the editing in the the first act was just like, what is happening? Yeah. Oh man, I'm glad you said that. The first thirty minutes of that movie were atrocious. Yeah. Like I feel like the movie recovers somewhat by the yeah, end. Yeah, it does. And I actually like the third act. The third quite act a bit. I actually like. Uh, I actually like. And yeah. if it had been attached to a stronger movie, I'd actually like this movie quite a bit. Yeah. But so the first thirty minutes, you're like, okay, you're. Okay, you were captured by this demon guy. The demon guy wants to bring about Ragnarok. And there's so much exposition with that. There's so and... much exposition for that, but it's also a payoff to a thing that was set up in Avengers uh, Age of Ultron, but we didn't see the journey to get there, so it's kind of jarring as yeah. it is. And like, it's kind of played off as a joke, so I don't know whether yeah. they're going to take like, this thing seriously, and yeah, then it actually this... comes back later and to make to be serious again. Yeah, there's this really goofy joke. Like, the movie starts off with this really bad joke. Uh, not him telling the story to the skeleton. I actually kind of like that. But, if it, like, the jokes constantly kill the momentum of the movie. Yeah. Um, like it just stops in its tracks to do the joke. Like the, the, the joke that the movie opens on is that he's hanging from these chains and the bad guy's doing his bad guy monologue at him mm-hmm. and Thor keeps spinning around slowly in the chains, which actually solid joke, but, solid joke. <laughs> but it just ruins any of the momentum of the vi- villain monologue mm-hmm. that you like, you have to keep constantly pausing and restarting it and pausing and restarting it. And you're like, Oh my gosh, just move. And on top it's of like that, stuck in traffic yes and also like it made me stop paying attention to what they were actually talking about yes because i actually didn't remember anything that they were saying or wasn't paying attention to that i was paying attention to the joke yeah and that bothered me because actually it ended up being important to the end of the movie yeah like what that demon thing had to do to go and destroy asgard i didn't even know because i was too busy paying attention to the joke yeah it's true so like and then it just pinballs around and he goes to asgard and And like can we stop put, putting freaking Matt Damon and everything? And I like yeah. Matt Damon, but like, what even was that? Yeah, I don't know, man. And and but then like the whole thing. I did Asgard, like the joke that his brother was playing him. No, I did like that. I was that like, was, that's that solid. That was and solid. Sam Neill was in it, right? Like, it, like once again, good individual parts, but it doesn't add up to a greater whole. I think no. actually a less less than the sum of its parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's because also it's dealing with a cliffhanger from the second movie, mm-hmm. which shouldn't have happened, honestly, in the second movie. Because this like, it creates so much baggage where Loki assumed the throne and kicked out Odin right. and was impersonating Odin and all this stuff. And then the movie has to go and spend basically 20 minutes like unwrapping and undoing all of that right. to get to like what it wants to get to. And it's just like a big burden hanging over that first act to undo all yeah. that crap. But then you go and they go and have an interlude with Doctor Strange, which once again is admittedly kind of fun and or whatever. pretty cool i yeah. really liked that it kind of furthered dr strange a little bit too like you see that he's like super good at his dr strange stuff now right i was like that's cool like that's like growth in the character that's cool. within the larger universe like that's awesome but did it really advance the plot at all no no because it's like they go to new york and they're like oh well loki or odin's not here and then dr strange is like actually he's here and then they go and hang out with odin and then the plot advances like what but it did get loki in a sweet black suit true 
Touche. Okay, worth it. So then they go and they meet Odin, and it is like the worst green screen crap. Like, did you notice that, man? Like, like the, every time they would go and like have the camera behind their backs, and they'd be like, "What a beautiful view!" And it's like this horrible green screen <laughs> yeah. ocean behind them. Yeah, it was like you could tell they did stuff on reshoots because originally they were supposed to go and meet Odin in New, New York. York. Yeah, and then they were like, "That's in the trailer, oh. right?" Yeah, and then Hela comes in New York and destroys the the Mjolnir, hammer and yeah. all that stuff. So anyway, they go and do that, and. I'm sorry, Anthony Hopkins, like, phoned that crap in. Like, maybe he did a better job in the first time they took that in New York. But he's just like, all right, well, bye now, my sons. See ya. And, I, and then he dies for reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I just didn't understand what was happening there. Like, somebody who's been that integral to the previous two movies shouldn't... His death should have had some weight to it. Yeah. Like, I felt nothing, man. I attributed some to it. Uh, but I think that was my brain doing the work for the movie. Um, so I'm, I'm actually a little more okay with that scene than okay. you were, but I, I'm a little more forgiving if my brain can fill in the gap, which I shouldn't be. Cause that means I'm doing more work than the movie. Like mm. not that the movie needs to spoon feed me or spell it out for me, but it should be pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I don't know. I, I, if, if I'm able to like bridge the gap at least a little bit, I'm a little more okay with it. So I, your criticism is real valid on that. But I also was like, oh, dang. But you can also tell it's because his contract was up. Yeah, basically. Um, <clears throat> and then, like, Hella comes in. And, like, literally five seconds afterwards, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's super awkward. Like, yeah. Like, oh, well, once I die, the power that's been holding her back will, like, vanish and she'll come back. And then he dies. And, like, she, like, literally just, like, walks up and is like, sup? Like, I'm the villain of this movie now. Yeah. And it's like, huh? I, I just, ah, it was too weird of a transition for me there like, yeah it didn't let his death sink in but it also didn't allow her to like really make an entrance either it yeah. felt like so that bothered me but continue <laughs> um so then Hella shows up and you just found out that she's like their long lost sister which is like great like on paper mm -hmm. that's like, great but for it, a villain like it, but it kind of doesn't matter to the characters that much yeah nope nope they're just like huh weird and uh <laughs> <laughs> that's it um Kate Blanchett's like great in she's it she's really good <laughs> she's super good she's mm -hmm. like having a blast and like weirdly attractive to me don't know what that's <laughs> about like i was like oh yeah. no <laughs> um agreed <laughs> and uh you know she gets this like she reveals this like really bloody history of asgard and how like odin rose to power and you kind of you know it's it's got this great theme on paper of yeah. like the veil being lifted in like which i think happens in a lot of families after someone dies like a lot of the truth comes out mm -hmm. um particularly like in a patriarch at least um like the way odin is and she like goes and like brings down like the murals in the the temple and shows what the original murals are and like that's a great touch too yeah. and like Man, there's, like, so much good stuff in this movie, but it's, like, an okay movie. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, is that, like, there's a really cool... There's a really good message or theme there about, like, colonialism, I mm -hmm. guess, and yeah. stuff like that. But the movie doesn't really do anything besides just kind of, like, point that out, like, oh, hey, like, this was kind of bad. And, and Listen to it. Immigrant Song now. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, like, it doesn't go any further than that. Right. When, when if it wanted to, it easily could have. That's yeah. what's so annoying yeah. about it. Is it has like all these great options, and then like rather than commit to anything, it just kind of shirks away and then wants to make a joke or the fart sound. Yeah, you know, and that that bothers me. Yeah, I and, agree. And then the second act of the movie is honestly throwaway. 
It's like, I I like I don't know Gladiator I, Planet like it yeah doesn't advance really anything man no it's a time killer for sure yeah it's like just, it was because they needed a second act right it's like they need something to go and halt them from going and kicking Hela's butt yeah you know? and it's like good enough it's fine yeah like, I mean you know Thor has some good interactions with Loki honestly I feel like Hulk is just thrown in there like I I know some people really love that stuff mm-hmm. and sometimes I hear that people really like the second act more than the rest of the movie yeah I feel like it felt like it's part of a different film yeah and, it does and, and maybe it would have been fine as a separate film but being shoved into this movie it detracts from it should have been a Hulk movie right yeah it should have been a Hulk movie oh yeah easily like just I would have rather watched that yeah than, than what we got here which was this weird oh it gets stitched into a Thor movie yeah. stuff um yeah i agree with that i was like i don't know fine with it um in the like in the sense that it was like eh, well there are worse ways to like hold them up yeah. yeah uh i mean jeff goldblum's really fun in it. yeah uh, he's like having a blast it seems right. like and, and like and really Tess- locked into how he should be that character yeah. which is basically just how jeff goldblum is right. i imagine it's like what would jeff goldblum be like if he was a dictator of space <laughs> space <laughs> um but like that was like he was fun and uh you know we met tessa thompson who's like great in it she's she's really good she's such a good actress yeah Uh, i I really enjoyed her yeah so that elevated the second act for me as Mm -hmm. far as i'm concerned yeah she's just man she's so good like and i haven't seen a bad tessa thompson performance i think no um i don't know if i've seen her in a bad thing like this movie isn't bad and she's great in it Mm -hmm. and like creed's one of my favorite movies and like westworld's awesome and she's in that like uh yeah, so we meet Tessa Thompson and find out her whole story, which is that she's, like, part of the Valkyrie and Hela killed the Valkyrie. And, like, once again, like, way, way more stuff that I would like to explore. And then we get, like, a little flashback and that's it. And yeah, there's, there's and no, the flashback looked sweet. It did. It did. But there's no pathos to it. Yeah. You know, like, I don't really feel anything either way about it. I yeah. just wish it's, like... I'd rather be watching that movie than the one that we're currently watching. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like if we, if we got like a Valkyrie's prequel, yeah. I would be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's like fine. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately, and then it ends on a good note. The third act is, is sweet. They get yeah. back there and they kick butt. And yeah. like, there's like really good payoffs yes, actually in the yeah. third act of like where all the characters have kind of been leading mm-hmm. that makes the time wasty stuff feel a little less time wasty. True, um, and and uh, has some good choreography. Like the action scenes are pretty decent. Yeah, at the end too. Like it's some of the better act Marvel action. I feel like in some that of sense. the better Marvel action and a little more confident than I was expecting out of him yeah. being a first time action director. There's some there's some seams on it for, True, sure. for sure. It's edited really bad, yeah. but th- like there's some cool action in it. I actually I'm a little bummed this didn't happen later in the movie well because the hammer is gone but like hammer cam in the first action sequence i thought was great true that was cool yeah um, there's a lot there are like a lot of neat directorial choices during mm-hmm. some of these fight scenes and they do a good job of accentuating like each person's skills I yeah think, i liked the kind of like four t- it was really ambitious there's yeah. this sort of like forefronted fight that's happening right. and it doesn't always work but it goes for it and it goes for it big and mm-hmm. it kind of makes up for it in its heart you know in yeah. like what it what it its intentions are greater than its execution but it kind of like finds a good balance to be really exciting mm-hmm. um and like the the payoff like the payoff with thor is really good when he like becomes the god of thunder and yes. like 
you know, starts going to town on people and that's really great. And like Valkyrie gets her redemption and so does, or not her redemption, but like not her revenge, but like she shows up and starts like whooping butt and like Scourge gets his redemption, which is like pretty solid and like great. Um, And then like the Hulk versus the wolf is just like, dope like it's just like cool looking and you know and loki comes and saves the day and like in all of them kind of and they have like this kind of like you know walking together type thing yeah that like is cliche but it was kind of cool in this movie it felt earned that like all these characters reunited yeah and like what sucks is it's all set to immigrant song which was in the trailer and once again on paper not a bad choice but the movie it's the second time they play it yes they play it once at the beginning too and, like, it would have been more effective if they would have just done it the one time. If they had just held back until yeah. the very end of the movie. Yeah, it would have been, like, really powerful, yeah, actually. Yeah, I agree with you. And so, there's a lot of things in there that... It's a mixture of the movie feels confident in some respects, but then completely insecure in others. Yes. And that's what I dislike about it. It feels schizophrenic. Yeah. And I think it made me, when I first walked out of it, I mean, you saw my text, get really angry because... You can see a good movie in there, mm-hmm. but it is so crippled by insecurity yeah. with the jokes and some of the decisions um, and the marvelizing of dramatic stuff yeah. that it bothered me that it was so crippled by that. Yeah. I th- so what I texted you is that it works really well when it's Conan the Barbarian and really falls on its face when it's Diet Guardians. Yes. And I stand by that. Like, if they would have taken a more, like, 80s, crazy, gritty, like high fantasy high fantasy like not not make it r-rated but like gory version of thor that would have been sweet and there are Mm. moments where it like approaches that and it's the that's the best stuff in the movie hands down Mm. um and i think if you would have done that it would have allowed them to explore the themes a lot better because the themes that are there are like really cool about like what is home you know like that's like that's such a great theme Mm. that i like I'm still kind of thinking about having watched the movie or like, you know, what does it mean to be a part of a nation? What does it mean to be the favorite son of a nation? Mm. What does it mean, you know, to be a leader, to be a leader? What does it mean accepting that, you know, your sibling is the one who gets to be the one in charge and you have to take a back seat? Like, how are you going to react to that? Mm. Like Loki's payoff in this movie is so great. Um, and they actually have a really good scene together right before the last scene of the movie. Yes. Where, uh, he says like, I'd give you a hug. If you were real, I'd give you a hug right now. Mm -hmm. And he like catches something that Thor throws at him and you don't see the hug. And I was like, that's really great. I was like, that's that like, it felt really great because it felt like we saw this moment and then their hug was like a private moment between two brothers finally understanding each other. Right. Which means they're both going to die. At least one of them (laughs) is going to die in Infinity War. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know, like, all that was really great. But then there's, like, oh, this guy's dead joke and then credits. And right. I was like, what the F? Yeah, yeah. I, that, to me, was the nail in the coffin was the very end of the movie. Whereas, like, Thor goes and assumes the throne. And it's like, cool, he's the leader of his people. It's, we've been building three films to this mm-hmm. moment, you know. And then we go and cut to the side character who's being played by the director just right. to go and have, like, a joke. And then we go to the credits. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, just... 
just let like this moment sit. Like, yep. what is so hard about? It that? also would have been this really great parallelism with Guardians Two, mm-hmm. where you know Guardians Two ends on a shot of Rocket kind of looking out into space during Yondu's funeral and shedding a tear because he realizes that there may be something greater than him at play, and also that people might miss him when he's gone, mm-hmm. which is not a feeling he's experienced before. Yeah, and. That's like the last shot of that movie, and it's really powerful. And I think you could end it on like this sort of two sides of the same coin note of Thor looking out into space with his entire nation behind him, having just had their 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 home mm-hmm. devastated, and just kind of thinking, "What now? Like, yeah. how do I lead?" Empire Strikes Back ending. You yeah, know what I mean? exactly. Like, like you know, like kind of what comes next. Yeah. Like, but whatever, we're gonna look to the future. On you know? almost even higher stakes because he has to lead all these mm-hmm. people into exile like this almost like like jews in the desert feeling yeah uh, <laughs> but did you feel the weight of any of that no no <laughs> yeah so like if it would have ended on that shot i would have been like whoa that ended really strong yeah yeah i honestly think that if it ended like that i probably would have retracted most of my criticism yeah in this podcast but yeah instead they decided to go and end in a way that highlighted all of my problems yes and so I agree. it gave me an I excuse agree. to just rant about them i agree and uh i as much as he cut the drama off at the knees i actually like the Korg character like he was really charming no to he's me. charming yeah and like he gets he has my favorite joke and the only joke that made me truly laugh mm-hmm. really hard which is when he thought loki was a ghost yes i thought that was great because it didn't kill the momentum of the scene mm-hmm. it happened after and the scene wasn't you know super heavy um but like loki's projecting himself into the like gladiator chamber where thor's being held and thor's just like throwing rocks at him which yeah. i also thought was like a fun joke during it, it that. was fun yeah and then uh you hear korg run out of nowhere and go piss off ghost and like kick the wall and he's not there and he's like ah oh, he's freaking gone and i thought that was like the best time joke of the whole yeah. movie it made me laugh really hard mm-hmm. i was like oh man if the jokes would have been more like this like way less intrusive and just like kind of hilarious yeah it would have been fine and, like, I did laugh at other points of the movie, but I was like, okay, like, haha, let's go! Yeah, I know, yeah. Once again, it's not like a lot of the jokes are bad. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes less is more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just, you have to think about, like, how these things are adding together. Yes. Things, like, these things in a vacuum, like, in an editing room, I'm sure play really well. Mm-hmm. When they're being strung together and trying to form a larger narrative, they fall apart. Yeah, I'm really trying to figure out where it fell apart because... Like, I, I mean, I mentioned what we do in the shadows already, mm-hmm. but his other film, um, oh, what's it called? He's got, this is his fifth film, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. It's also like really funny, but also, you know, lets its drama breathe. Like it's not, so, I, I've seen three of his four other movies that aren't this. I've seen four out of five of his movies. And this one just is a complete misfire of everything I know he's capable of. So I don't understand what ha- like if the studio got involved or what. I my understanding was is that like the movie was like closer to 80 or 90 minutes mm-hmm. and then after like the Comic-Con reception or whatever sort of reception was that some sort of fan thing um, where everybody really liked the humor they added like basically 10 to 20 more minutes of like more of the improv stuff and all that. Well the movie's and, 2 hours and 10 freaking minutes right. long. So in other words they added a significant amount more okay. just to scenes. 
and you can see, I feel like you sense that like some scenes just feel padded out just to go and have some more of this improv stuff and I honestly suspect that the 80 or 90 minute version of the movie might have been better yeah I agree well so that's also a stamp of Taika Waititi most of his movies are under 90 minutes it, what we do in the shadows is like 87 minutes or something mm. and it's awesome yeah um for the wilder people I think is like an hour 37 yeah um you know he does make really short punchy movies like that mm -hmm. so that actually doesn't surprise me at all but i think he let them do it which is why they're because he's he's a very idiosyncratic director but he um he played well in the marvel machine yes. like you didn't hear about a lot of drama between no, him he and he's like a pretty outspoken guy like and i feel like he's sticking by the product that they're releasing and most people are like we're in the minority oh yeah by <laughs> um, far yeah it's like people are loving it but you know he's he played real nice with marvel and they rewarded him for it mm -hmm. um so i think that this movie though did kind of lead to lord and miller's downfall on star wars mm -hmm. because i feel like disney a little bit like whether or not marvel went and added the stuff after the comic-con reception i feel like disney doesn't get to be disney without knowing a thing or two and they saw this movie and were like, ugh, like, it's going to make money and it might hit audiences, but yikes. And they found out Lord and Miller were doing a similar approach on Han Solo and put the kibosh on that. Well, I mean, I could certainly see um, how Lord and Miller would make a movie that's just like this. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, everything in Kasdan's script for the Han Solo movie was maybe, maybe it has some funny bits, but there's still, like, an underlying drama to it. Yeah. And they were doing, like, all the like joke like punchline like undercutting yeah. all of it every single moment right and then like you know kathleen kennedy and kazan are seeing the dailies come in and they're just going oh my god they're just turning this whole thing into a farce yeah which is what this movie is yeah you know, this movie is like constantly just parodying like a thor movie yeah and um and once again it worked out in terms of critical reception and audience reception and all that but i feel like maybe kathleen kennedy and kazan they go and maybe take a little bit more stock in Star Wars being somewhat sacred yeah. and having like a certain tonal consistency. And yeah, I can see how your theory maybe is true. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it's directly as a result of the store stuff or not. Yeah. But I just, I, this movie goes and provides a very clear comparison of, well, this is what a type of movie could be like yeah. under those kind of same directors. Because they have a similar style, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's true. Um, I almost feel like Lord and Miller would have been better suited to Thor. Yeah, I would have preferred seeing them on this. Yeah, I think their version of this movie is actually a little bit better. <laughs> at, at balancing the two. Yeah, because yeah. they're really good at that, I feel like. Because yes. like, the Lego movie is constant jokes. Constant. But there's a really good like message heart. and heart under it too. Yeah. Like they're they're really good at balancing that. I mean, well, like I said, so is Taika Waititi. Like, yeah, I don't I, know. I don't know what happened with this one. Maybe. Yeah, it's uh, so weird to me. And I know that once again, we're in the minority. People are going to go and disagree with us, even on this podcast. Yeah, you know about how good it was. But I predict that in time, this the time will not be kind to this movie. I think you're right. Because uh, I feel like this is one of those things where everyone's caught up in the hype and the mm -hmm. fact that it was a quote-unquote fun Thor movie for once. And then I think the cracks are going to start showing with people. And they're going to see this as part of a larger trend, which is that a lot of these more recent Marvel movies 
have trended toward this very jokey direction where they're just undercutting the drama constantly. And there's going to be a backlash to it. Yeah. I mean, we already had a backlash against, like, the super dark superhero movies stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how, like, why can't movies be, like, superhero movies be more fun, like Marvel? But now I think we've, the pendulum might be swinging too far now this other way. Yeah. And it's going to swing back eventually. I think I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it how it ends up. I you know I can't imagine Infinity Wars is going to be this way, especially with the Russos so. on it. No. Like I don't think they would let that happen. Like there's, I mean, heck, uh, Winter Soldier has some funny bits in it, but like mm-hmm. it's not a comedy the no, way this is. But like, and same with Civil War. You know, like mm-hmm. they they've nailed it in the past as far as that balance goes. And I, I feel agree. like they'll continue to. Another joke that I really liked was Thor trying to figure out the name that Stark gave him in the the Quinjet. Uh, oh, when he was like the strongest Avenger, oh, and yeah, I yeah, was yeah. like, "That's like funny," because he mm-hmm. had to like. But I think all the funny bits in Thor come outside of Thor. They they like they come from Thor reacting to things that are foreign to him. Mm-hmm. And this isn't. Like, this is just hilarious, Thor. And it's yeah. like, okay, when did he get super funny? Yeah, and, and like, without a doubt, Chris Hemsworth is a very talented and and has a, a very good sense of comedic timing. Yeah, honestly. and he's charming as yeah, hell. Yeah, he's charming as heck. Um, but it was a little jarring for me, for me to for have him cracking jokes constantly. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was... Because it felt, like, incongruous with the other two movies. Like, huh? Where did this dude come from? Like, yeah. He doesn't even feel like he's the same character, necessarily. Yeah. And maybe you could attribute it to him, like, loosening up or whatever. Yeah. But I don't feel like the movie justified the character kind of becoming more of a buffoon. Yeah, I agree. So... Especially now that he's supposed to be, like, a serious leader. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's my problem, is that this movie, like, it's totally at odds with, like, the story it's trying to tell. Yeah. Like, the the... The subtextual layer of the movie is actually pretty uh, heavy. Yeah. Oh, and then, yeah. And then, but then the surface like level of the movie is all humor and is at complete odds with that. And yeah. it bothered me throughout. There's this giant conflict being played and it it comes across in the way the movie is telling jokes but insecurely. Yeah, it's really inconsistent, uh, which is crazy because like both halves of it are actually good on paper like yeah. we said they're like most of the jokes are good jokes and all the drama is like pretty solid but like just when they you know, mash them together like that it something didn't come out right like right. you you goofed up the recipe somewhere mm-hmm. so we'll see where things go i think it's gonna be like how people look back on force awakens after like initially loving it and now people are like oh, okay actually that was kind of a rehash like yeah. maybe i was just a little too enthusiastic um and there's a couple other more recent movies that have come out where everyone was like gaga bananas about it, and then they kind of took a step back and were like, well, actually, there yeah. were some issues with this. I, I, what I want to see is I want to see a fan edit of this movie mm-hmm. that makes it the 90 minute version. Yeah, because the 90 minute ver- version is buried in there. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean. Pretty much every scene could be cut down by like a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, oh my gosh. Some of those scenes last forever. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah. And that, a, lot, a lot of that is attributable to the improv humor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would love to see that movie too. And hopefully we get it. That'd be really cool to see. Um, if I only had like one suggestion, it's just to marvel like, be a little bit more confident in the drama yeah. of your movies. Yeah. Because it's making them feel very inconsequential. Yeah. Like, 
I'm glad that we talked about this movie like you know a day or two after I had seen it because I think honestly if we got much longer I would actually start forgetting what the heck happened there. <laughs> like you know beyond like my visceral like like yeah. feeling that some of the jokes and that undercutting the stuff I don't like I'm beginning to just forget like the entirety of the second act already mm-hmm. um, because it just didn't feel like anything of note happened even though quite a bit did happen honestly I feel like if the second act would have focused more on like hella yeah it would have been great yes because basically all the second act is of her is like she just kind of marches around and yeah like doesn't really do anything yeah her (laughs) action scene her assault on asgard is sweet it's cool but it's just kind of she's just kind of strutting around yeah for like 20 or 30 minutes of the movie yeah after she murders basically everyone yeah also if Give Idris Elba something to do in these things, man. I know, yeah, he was he's, super good in this movie because he's, he's good. So he's a cool. good actor and like really likable and like just charm constantly. And, and then like, why isn't he like one of like the five people kind of like standing alongside the other yeah. heroes at the end of the movie? Right. Like, he's kind of like doing something else, and it's like, wait, what? Huh? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> Gosh, what a like why what a waste of a good actor. Yeah, I'm. I, I don't know, man. I a little bit felt that way about Carl Urban too. His I, art's I a little more complete, mm-hmm. but like, as far as what he gets to do in the movie, just, why would you waste Carl Urban like I that? I don't know, man. Because yeah, I mean, like I said in the second act, he's kind of just grimacing. Yeah, like, he's oh, just kind of like I don't know about this kind of thing. Yeah, oh, geez, guys. <laughs> about this whole genocide thing Um. yeah like if there would have been like a a subplot of him going and like meeting heimdall and like him and heimdall leading the initial revolution Mm -hmm. against hella and then like thor and loki coming in after that yeah that would have been sweet when they're like on their last legs yeah yeah i agree with you or like this mad dash to like get the sword back to the 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 bifrost so that they could use the bifrost to bring thor in like Mm. something like that i think would have really taken the movie to a really fun great place and given like those really talented likable actors something to do yeah like just give like give Heimdall and Scourge their their own sub adventure Mm. um and then like and then it opens up this possibility of like you know, watching Scourge be this double agent over the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know. Man, let's make our own Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, <laughs> like... seriously, man. Uh, the the skeleton is there for a really good movie and could, could even be better. Um, yeah. But they decided to go and settle for something that, you know, people enjoy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. People enjoy it, but they could have made something that was a little bit more risky. Yeah. Um, and they didn't. Yeah. So, to go and tie it into the larger discussion... This is my problem with, like, Disney movies in general lately, which is just, they have a formula that is very crowd-pleasing, but it, I don't feel like they take enough risks. Like, they always, like, choose the safest path, and... I feel like Rogue One didn't. I agree with you. I think Rogue One is the only movie within Disney's kind of recent output where I feel like they didn't choose the obvious, like, route always, Mm-hmm. Um, but then weirdly there's this now kind of backlash against rogue one like oh it was boring or yeah the, char- the characters like i didn't know like this dude's complete backstory or whatever so therefore yeah. he wasn't characterized properly and the characters suck which is like uh, i don't really agree it's with that also but... not the movie they were making yeah like, like not... 
That's like, not the kind of movie it is. Right, like, like, name the heist movie you've ever seen where you know everyone's, like, little detail about how they got... No one said that about Ocean's Eleven. Right, like, or the, or the Dirty Dozen. Like, I don't know, like, like every character's backstory in the Dirty Dozen. Like, yeah. all I need to know is, like, the first, like the two or three, like, top-billed people. In yeah. It. Um, but it's kind of like this Marvel-itis that's set in in terms of people's, like, way they evaluate movies, which is like, well, this guy didn't get an origin story, so how am I supposed to relate to him? And it's yeah. like, well, like, you kind of don't. Like, you don't need to know yeah. everything about this guy to, like, like him. Like, you stand up against the bad guys. Like, that's it. Like, not every single character is the one you're supposed to in- intimately know. Yeah. Also. Did you, uh, did you see that Spider-Man thing? The, mm, no. uh, the movie? No. Homecoming. Oh, yeah. Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I agree with you. Yes. Um, and I, I think what that movie benefited from is, like, yeah, there were a ton of jokes, mm-hmm. but... They came from, like, weirdo high school kids, and, like, that's who those characters are. And also, like, there's some real drama. Like, the stakes feel real because they're small. Like, it feels like a Spider-Man problem. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a problem Spider-Man can deal with. Right. Uh, With Thor, it does feel like a problem Thor can deal with because it's literally gods battling each other, or Mm -hmm. demigods at the very least. Uh, But... So, the, but the way it undercuts its own stakes is really bad. Yes. Well, and I'm glad you brought up Spider-Man Homecoming because um, Chuck Provincio, if you're listening to this uh, episode um, this far in, then congratulations. I'm also mentioning your name. Um, he brought this up, which is that Spider-Man Homecoming has this great scene toward the end of the second act where you realize, like, Michael Keaton is the father of uh, the, the daughter that uh, Peter's interested in. Okay, One of whatever. the best scenes in a Marvel movie. Right. And, like, it comes out of nowhere. And like, I mean, I knew it was going to happen because I had already heard spoilers about it. Oh, okay. But still hits well. Like, because Michael Keaton's the best. Because he's the best. <laughs> and you know what? There's no superpowers. There's no CG. They're not even costumed up. It's just, like, he's being a dad. It's just human drama. Human drama. And that is the most tense scene in a Marvel movie in ages. Yeah, I and, agree. And, and it's fantastic. It's great. Because he does this, like, he goes into this, like, evil Batman mode. Yeah. But he's, like, looks like Bruce Wayne, you know? Yeah, like right. But he's just, like, dressed up as a dad driving his daughter and, you know, whatever, yeah. to a prom. Man, that and scene's so freaking That good. scene has so much tension. And that goes and demonstrates to me that... They're completely capable of this. And people mm-hmm. receive that scene well. Like, every single time I've seen it with people, everyone who doesn't know the twist is like, oh, shit. Dude, yes. You know? That's the only time I've heard a crowd audibly react in a Marvel movie. I saw mm-hmm. it at the Thursday night opening, which I never go to those things, but I did this for some reason. And when that happened, even me, like, the theater made a noise. Yeah. Like, everyone was like, oh. And even I was like, my jaw hit the ground mm. and I, especially because that's a movie where all the trailers gave away every single plot point yeah, but that except that and so when that happened i was actually gobs i was like one even in the marvel movies that don't give away their whole plot this is the only time i've ever been truly surprised by a mm-hmm. plot point like I, it came out of nowhere and not in a cheap way to me either exactly and that to me demonstrates these guys know are capable of doing this like underplaying a scene to make it more effective than like it mm-hmm. seems, and they didn't do that at all in this movie. Yeah, and everything's eleven always. Yes, um, so I prefer more movies or more scenes in the vein of the Spider-Man Homecoming scene yeah. than what we got in Ragnarok. Yeah, but 
we'll see where history goes and lands in terms of the future output of things. Yeah. I agree with you that the Russo brothers are probably going to put in solid stuff. Yeah. Well, and if they keep that. the Spider-Man Homecoming guy around, I yeah. think we could get some like really great Spider-Man movies because that guy really gets like the human interactions mm-hmm. that make. I think a character like Spider-Man work, but also make these kind of Marvel-y things work. Yeah. Um, if I would really like to see him do another movie with that character. Actually. I agree with you. Um, even though I am personally care for that movie too much beyond that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if he goes in more of that direction, it could be a really great sequel. Yeah. Um, so that's my only takeaway from this, which is that you guys are capable of so much more. Like, don't settle. Yeah. So I guess that's pretty much exhausting everything we have to say about yeah, this Yeah, I mean, the, I, my final thought is like, just because there's drama in it doesn't mean you have to be going for like a weepy Oscar thing. No. Like, you know, like yeah. just, just put some drama in there. Like it, it connects people, you know, like mm-hmm. no one knows what it's like to be the sad one. No, um, no one, no <laughs> one knows what it's like to put on these tights and fly around. Everyone knows what it's like to meet your crush's dad for the first time. And find out that he's actually a terrorist. <laughs> Well, not that necessarily, but all, like everyone yeah. knows like the all like already the nerves that come with like meeting mm-hmm. your, you know, your crush's parents for the first time, especially when you're going out on like an actual date. Yeah. Um. So that like connects or everyone knows what it's like to be, you know, feel left out a little bit. Like mm-hmm. that's why, like I said, the Spider-Man movie works a lot better than I felt like it did because he nailed the like the very human feelings behind spider-man uh rather than just like look at him do the webs yeah which like there's a not even a lot of in that movie there isn't actually uh and it makes it that more effective and also like he kind of sucks at it yeah you know and it just like it's like oh yeah that's kind of how i'd be if Mm -hmm. i like i'd probably be kind of crap at it at first you Mm -hmm. know yeah a little bit of relatability goes a long way yes Uh, and when you're using humor effectively. You can disarm people and make them vulnerable to drama. Yes. And that's something that this movie doesn't capitalize on. Nope. And it, it's super obvious to most people. And I mean, it's obvious this is the director. He's done it before. Yeah. So I yeah. don't know. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand, man. All right. That's Thor Ragnarok. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about something. I guess. Yeah. I yeah. Know. I don't. We. I don't, I don't know. know. I feel like the next episode is going to hit in this dumb oh, in-between period. It's between be Justice League, isn't it? I don't it? think it is, because Justice League is Thanksgiving weekend, is it not? Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up in well, almost two The days. next episode releases on Thanksgiving Day. Oh. We might have to go and talk about it. Like, Maybe. Delay it or something. Yeah. Something. Well, cause, uh, Coco's coming out, too. Oh, okay. Hmm. What do you think people want to listen to more? I don't know. I don't know. Cast your vote and decide. <laughs> yeah, let Sa- us know. Save me from having to watch Justice League. I'm going to see Justice League either way, so it doesn't matter. I have movie pass. It's not like I'm not going to see it. I know. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to have to end up watching it. Yeah, I'll... I'm, I'm whatever. Dang it. Uh, no, I mean, I'm probably going to see it because I'm hashtag all in. <laughs> you can't save the world alone. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see... Where someone, like, just in ballpoint pen wrote on Wonder Woman's face, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) On that poster. It was on, like, a New York subway. (laughs) And it said, you can't save the world alone. And it just says, I did it. (laughs) Uh, yeah. (sighs) All right, well. Well, you know what? We should do Justice League because I want to crap on some DC fanboys. That's what I want to do. You know what? I'm all in. (laughs) 
<laughs> also, we're the bad guys, so I think we have to do it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>